the most broccoli episode of Tana Cast of all time. Well, it's a Wait, good thing our, I like roasted broccoli, our listeners though. like their veggies. Yeah, I love yeah. broccoli. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. As almost always, I'm Alex Roy, the uh, Director of Special Operations at Argo AI, whom I do not represent on this show, and um, the uh, producer of Apex, The Secret Race Across America, a film that um, I don't want to say I disavowed it, but let's just say that I'm a safety advocate today. Um, and I'm Kirsten Korosek, uh, editor at TechCrunch. I'm always curious about how every episode your titles change depending on your mood. Well, it's well. Should we let Ed introduce himself first, or do we all know who Ed is already? Well, we know Ed's here. I'm, He's I, lurking in the background. I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I'm the communications director at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education and the author of Ludicrous: The Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And the man in whose in whose head Elon Musk does not live rent free. No, it's, uh, rents have been rents have been going up for a while. <laughs> okay, uh, the, the answer to your question, Kirsten, is that my moods change because I'm moody. Also, um, it's um, you know, it, it, I'm trying to be ethical because ethics are a big thing in the news these days. I'm trying to respect boundaries and not use this show, which predated my my Argo AI employment by many years. I don't want to use this show as a marketing outlet for my other work. Is that fair? Yeah, it's fair. I just noticed, I think that, that there is some like decoder ring out there that like based on what titles and what order you put them in is like directly relates to your mood or level of spiciness for the day. Let's move on. Ed, uh, Kirst, before we hit record, Kirsten asked a question and I really wanted to capture your answer on the air. You're going on vacation the day after we record this episode. Will you be able to go on vacation without tweeting about a company that starts with the big T. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly hope so. I, I, uh, I, it's definitely my intention to uh, be on uh, my phone and or the internet as little as possible. Mm. Uh, that said, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm realistic. If I do look at my phone and, and uh, you know, uh, the certain kinds of developments you know, have happened, like I, there's a good chance that I may well have something to say about it, in which case I'll say it. <sighs> okay. So here's a question. If before we move on to the other topic that we, that a much more important topic, but we need to set a benchmark. So what would be a development that you would comment on and what would be a development that you wouldn't like? So for example, give me, give me an example of what wouldn't qualify as a tweetable like worthy of a beach tweetable moment, like development. I mean, like, you know, like the, the Hertz announcement or whatever, or, 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 you know, this, anything to do with the stock price, uh, it, you know, I mean, th there's a bunch of okay. things that I, wait, I wait, that's so important. wait, wait, that's important. So if by some sort of strange twist, the stock price suddenly drops to $100, you won't tweet about it. Just want to be clear. You said stock price. So, well, so I would, I would be, I wouldn't really have much to say about it if the stock price just dropped because, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I don't understand the stock market. And I think anybody who says they do is, is usually probably lying or, or trying to sell something. Uh, but, but I think, you know, like if there were some fundamental reason why the stock had dropped suddenly, I might very well be quite interested in that. Okay. All right. Interesting. And so what if we do this? 
what if instead of using the name of the company, which starts with the big T, you have to use, say, a word, a code word, which is just annoying to use. That's the only way you're allowed to talk about them. Like, instead of Elon Musk, you have to say, like, Santa Claus. I don't, I don't really Tesla, understand. You have to say, I don't even know. Um, Liverworth Sandwich. Uh, network, yeah, never, network 23. <laughs> why, why would I do this? Why would I do any of this? For your own mental health. <laughs> yeah, we're worried about you. That's this is really actually just an intervention, and we think that you should go on vacation and just really enjoy it. And and the the great thing is is that um, we'll know if you're adhering to these very loose rules, which aren't even rules, because we'll see it. Like you can't tweet privately. So mm, like, yeah, that, that's I, I'll right. Put the, I'll put the notifications back on. I took them off because you tweeted way too. We, you tweet way too much, and it was annoying. It was a lot. It was a lot. But I will put them back on while you're on vacation. So monitor just for your health, just for your mental health. Issues. You people didn't know me in 2003 to 2007. But if you met me, I, I, you could be a complete stranger on the subway in New York City. I was the greatest thing that ever happened to the automotive industry. Gumball, Cannonball, me, myself, I'm the greatest. And even my best friends, they, were, they just didn't want to deal with it anymore. And so you don't want to become like that, Ed. Um, you don't want to. <laughs> I was insufferable. Big, okay, well, that's a big leap. I would not put you in that category. <laughs> good. So, I was really bad. Really bad. Okay. Well. Well. Good. Well. So Ed's definitely not insufferable. Um. <laughs> just sometimes. <laughs> okay. What's the topic uh, of the day? It's not. Yeah. Let, okay. So it's not. We're not going to talk about the big T, which is everyone should know what we're referring to as Tyrannosaurus Rex. But um. But we kind of are. Ed, no. Well, well, we are going to be talking about um, crash data and hype, hype and hype. Caus- and, and causality and dumb statistics that are thrown out to make arguments that don't make sense. No. Well, I wouldn't say that they're necessarily dumb statistics, okay. but I think that they're treated as such. So, Ed, why don't mm. you launch us into this topic? Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, this is something that that you know, for a long time now, um, a lot of people ha- in the AV space have, uh, you know, used this uh, or, or brought up this statistic, uh, which is based on a, a 2015 uh, study that that NHTSA did. Um, and the statistic that gets put out there is, is essentially, it's oftentimes presented as uh, saying, you know, 94% of, uh, of crashes, uh, you know, essentially are caused by, by human error. Okay. Um, and this well, and so it's just to, so, so this is, this, the use of the statistic, and, and obviously this is oftentimes presented as, you know, this is evidence for why we need autonomous vehicles, right? Because autonomous vehicles are not subject to human error in the, in the traditional sense. And, um, and, you know, this is, this has always caused a bit of a backlash and that backlash has really ramped up recently, including, um, sort of from, uh, uh, NTSB chair Jennifer Homendy, uh, also David Zipper, a friend of the show, a number of folks have been have been really upping the the, the criticism of of this statistic and specifically the way it's used in the in the AV sector. Um, so I think it's a it's an interesting topic to discuss because I think it, it touches on a lot of really uh, important themes uh, in in this space right now. Okay, so uh, the study that you're talking about, I believe, is called Critical Reasons for Crashes Investigated in the National Motor Vehicle Crash Causation Survey. That's the one. That's, a, that's an okay. awesome title. It, it is. It makes me want to click it. It is the ultimate clickbait. 
but but basically this has become this this nugget which which often happens by the way in reports is that the singular data nugget is then used and then you kind of forget where it actually comes from and when you were to read if you were to read the entire survey um NHTSA does try to say that it shouldn't just be used broadly but yet it is right yeah so- well i mean if that number were, were accurate uh, it, it, to to the point that it's 94% of crashes are human error by that standard, we should just ban driving, which it makes no sense. Right. Yeah, and and you know what it's saying is that is that you know it, it basically it, it it's the uh, some kind of human error or 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 factor you know was sort of the last uh, piece of a chain of causation, right? And and that's sort of where this the complexity comes from is that you know one you know the the last thing that happens isn't necessarily the only thing that that contributed to that crash in fact typically in any kind of accident or risk analysis or whatever uh, problems are also are, are are oftentimes uh you know sort of a cascading failure of some kind or or what's called a swiss cheese problem where like a number of weaknesses sort of all happen to align together creating a a sort of you know whole all the way through whatever sort of safety systems are in place and so and so I think, you know, that that's kind of the, 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 the challenge here is that, you know, this doesn't say necessarily that, you know, just because it was the last thing in that chain of causation, it's the only one that, that matters. And I think that's right. a, a really valid criticism, uh, uh, at least of how some people use this. So, you know, the other thing is you talked about it, it oftentimes is a cascading there's multiple reasons why a crash happens. And then, you know, maybe the last is the human and and that's where the blame is placed. But I think what the risk here is, is before we get into the, um, why the autonomous vehicle industry or just some in the autonomous vehicle industry use this as a selling point. I think the big issue here is that it can detract from other actual design problems in the way our cities are laid out. So let's say it's a poorly designed road or the high speed limit, you know, like maybe the speed limit is, is too high in in one area. And so that is maybe more of the cause than, than others. And as a result, design changes in roads might not happen because the blame is placed on humans. And that's really important, by the way, not just for human-driven vehicles, but for the future of transportation where there are more, where, where there are actually like large numbers of autonomous vehicles deployed on the road. Like the, that that design of those roads matter. Well, you know, the, 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 the thing with the problem with the number is that it was the 94% human error figure thrown out by people who were trying to sell autonomous vehicles as a panacea to everything. Then when there's any incidents with an autonomous vehicle, then the opponents of them can say, you were wrong. They don't. They failed. <laughs> and uh, based on that argument, and then the whole industry is discredited. And this is um, this is. Uh, a, a pernicious um, and logically flawed way of thinking, because the reality uh, it always uh, you know, marches down the center while these arguments pro and con oscillate all around the reality of what technology can do, which is that you can improve 
you can make the roads safer, but you can never make them 100% safe. Because when two objects move in the world, eventually something's going to happen. That's just the way that the world works. And it's really important, and I've said this long before joining Argo, that people not misquote research and understand statistics before they use it to make an argument. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So we've established that the that this is problematic. So what is the, I guess, what's the answer here? I mean, besides just we don't use this because it's going to continue to be used, right? Um, and we're only three people, and there are others out there that's that agree with us. But you can't just sit there and like reach out to every single person who uses it and say, "Don't use this information," or "This information is flawed." A better way might be to like just change the entire conversation. So, how should we be talking about the role of human beings in uh, crashes? And as it relates to the future of transportation and autonomous vehicles, like, is it, is it a problem? Should we not be correlating the two at all? In, in think, any way comparing the two? I, I think that, I mean, I try to do this on my Twitter. I think that anywhere one sees like monolithic thinking and monolithic arguments, one should counter them, even if you agree on the end goal. For example, I'm sorry, but my friends who drive Teslas as I do seem to think that there's only one electric car company, only one company building autonomous vehicles, only one solution, and no, and no one else exists, which is just not true. Uh, secondly, uh, if someone, if you want to, if you want to reduce traffic, building really safe electric vehicles doesn't solve that. Infrastructure, bike lanes, sidewalks, walking cities, pedestrian zones solve traffic by taking people off the roads. And so, for every problem, there are multiple solutions. And if the problem is reducing, is, is crashes on the roads, then the problem is not just about human drivers and not just about cars. It's about the system. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't a very elegant argument, was it? Well, I that think was the that, broccoli argument. That was the broccoli argument of safety. Nobody wants to eat the broccoli, but here's, here's six varieties of it. Yeah. I mean, it, it reminds me a little bit of, um, you know, back when um, in like 2016, there were like a, a couple of of like tech writers who are not typically in in this area. They wrote some pieces basically saying AVs are are almost here, and we should like talk about banning human driving. And uh, it's you mean, like, was it Matt Honan? Uh, yeah, he was one yeah. of them, and um, uh, someone else. Can't remember who wrote the other one. Um, but like, you know, it, my res- I wrote a, a response to those pieces and basically just said, you know, I. I Obviously, we now know that like AVs were nowhere nowhere near as close uh, as we thought then. But but even from the perspective at the time, what bothers me about that about that whole attitude, and I think that's I think that's the thing that people who are objecting to the ninety four percent are are also objecting to is, as you say, Alex, sort of that sense that that this technology is a panacea, um, and 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 that and that more importantly that like talking about about safety is something that is just purely a tactic, like a sales tactic. And I think that, you know, this is, there's sort of this broader problem where AVs and the AV industry is kind of off on a, an island a little bit. Um, I mean, not, not the not, whole AV industry. Not entirely, <laughs> but, but it, and it, I think it's because what's not happening so much is you're not seeing, first of all, you're not seeing like urbanists and stuff embracing the idea that AVs can be part of their agenda. And I think part of that problem is because the AV sector doesn't seem sometimes to be coming 
at auto safety from a principled perspective, right? It's like they're they're instrumentalizing concerns about auto safety in ways that they feel help them make their product or technology more more appealing. But like, you know, you don't see like leaders in the AV space saying, you know, yeah, like AVs have this huge long-term potential to solve a ton of these road deaths. But also in the meantime, we should be, you know, addressing the fact that, you know, nearly half of deaths involve unbelted people, which is an issue that you don't need AVs to solve. We can make progress on that now. And I think that if we're, you know, if, if we want to be like advocates for road safety, we have to do that in a principled way and not just in a way that where we only talk about it, like in order to clearly like privilege, you know, the technology that we happen to be selling. I, I, I do get why the AV industry doesn't necessarily weigh in on like your seatbelt example, because they're very centrally focused on, on, you know, deploying and, and proving out their technology. So I, I get that. I'm not saying that they shouldn't, but one area that I think might match up really well with what they're trying to do is just how cities are designed and how they transition to accommodating um, uh, people as opposed to just vehicles with four wheels. And I think that they could, it would benefit them to talk about that because if you look at ride hailing as an example of how there were great promises around what that was going to do for us environmentally and traffic congestion wise, and that hasn't really proven out. Um, AV should learn from that um, and and start talking about, okay, this is going to deliver this, but also cities, we need to work with cities and urban planners to accommodate more pedestrians and protect bike lanes and like multimodal travel because streets, you know, it sounds a little silly and people have used this phrase before, but like streets shouldn't be built for cars. They should be built for people, right? So how is, how are autonomous vehicles going to fit into that environment and what can be done on like a holistic level, which is by the way, incredibly difficult. I'm not saying that this is easy. Um, It's also very expensive. But that's an area where I think the AV industry could like really win. And you see all these um, startups that are adjacent to AVs. So the curb management type startups that are kind of thinking about like, how do you manage traffic? How do you manage curb flow with all this on-demand delivery and the future of potentially autonomous vehicles doing this? But I think we can go beyond that and be thinking about how vehicles interact with um autonomous vehicles interact with public transit, ingress and egress onto, you know, human driven vehicles, because they'll be mixing it up with them, bikes, scooters, skateboards, all of that. And and that I think is worth investment and discussion and policymaking. Like, and I, I think there are some AV people who are doing that, but I'd like to see more of that happening. I'd like to see more of that happening too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, wow, and I, and I, I was so convincing that there's total silence. Sweet. Well, no, well, I mean it's just it. Part of it is you're absolutely right. I mean, because this technology is is level four, right? It's it's it, or in, and will be for some time. Um, you know, th- there's fundamentally more of a connection between a level four autonomous vehicle and the infrastructure, the built environment in which it operates, than like 
you know, uh, any kind of just car that you go out and buy, right? You go out and buy a car and it's designed to go wherever. It doesn't care if it's in a city or, or on a road. I mean, some are designed more for, for certain applications than others, but, but ultimately you, you're free to just sort of use it however you want. And I think that with that, that connection with, uh, you know, with the built environment uh, and, and with just the domain in which it operates, there is absolutely an opportunity to, for AV companies to be, to be more involved in, you know, as you say, in, in those discussions about, you know, how does this fit into a broader vision uh, for, for what we want to see in, in our city? Um, and, and by the way, that's going to be really different in different places, right? Like some cities, you know, it's good, they're going to want something that's like a self-driving car. Other cities are very much not going to want anything that resembles a car. And I think that's, that's going to be part of the challenge is that, cars scale well because they the same car can be used kind of anywhere and i think um you know if if avs want to sort of fit into differing visions for different cities um that's a that's a little bit of a challenge god i'm already emotionally exhausted (laughs) but i think i think there's it's just it yeah i mean we agree it's it's, it is incredible that that so much of the conversation around these things is monolithic and not from, not just from some AV companies. I have, you know, they're inside the cycling, inside the two wheeled community, you have monolithic sub communities who don't want electric bikes or who don't want, uh, you know, don't want, what do you call it? Um, uh, to share bike lanes with other, with, uh, what is the, what are they called? Um, delivery bots, the, delivery uh, bots. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not taking a position here except to say that, all these things, solving these things requires holistic approaches. And that if one right. tries to force all mobility, like politics is local. And if one tries to force like a framework, um, you know, if, if you're trying, cars don't solve everything, bikes don't solve everything, although bikes are generally better than cars. Uh, in the same way that you couldn't just announce tomorrow that Phoenix will now be a walking city and that's it. Those are your only no, choices. but 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 I would say this. So I I caught um I was just looking for it and I'm glad I found it um because I bookmarked it. But there was a tweet about uh two weeks ago from a guy named Daryl Young, and um basically his he was he write tweets about like sustainability and stuff like that. And his tweet was five years ago I met the brains behind Souls Souls in Seoul, South Korea, highly successful, dedicated bike bike. I'm sorry, dedicated bus lanes. And these dedicated bus lanes are right in the middle of the freeway. So it's just for buses. And then there's um, cars on other directions. So imagine this massive, like, um, you know, 10 lanes, but the the middle two are wide and they're just accommodate buses. And when that came out in 2016, it was, you know, there was a lot of public opposition to that. And, you know, he said that he talked to these people and they said, eventually they just like the public opposition goes away. Um, that doing something like that at the time was a huge deal, but has ultimately led to, it seems like, you know, better, um, flow and dedicating these transit lanes. Right. So it can, there are examples of how this can happen. Um, but it takes extreme political will on a local level and, you know, buy-in from businesses or, um, you know, local community members from different, different 
use, you know, different use cases, the drivers, the ride hail community, the delivery community, um, pedestrians, bicyclists, you know, all of that. I think there's a, another angle to the whole 94% thing as well. That is just, it's, it's, you know, I think one of the reasons that people push back so, so emphatically against it is because this, this industry has a, a, a record with hype. Right. And I mean, we've, we went through a not period the whole of, industry, Ed. I, as a whole, <laughs> like not, you know, yes, like I'm, I'm making a broad characterization that doesn't apply to, to, to everyone equally, of course. But as an industry, we collectively do have a problem, right? And 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 it's it's evidenced in just sort of the public data, you know, that we see when people are asked about this stuff. And and I think you know we there's been amazing progress. I want to give credit where due here. There's been a lot of progress since the days of peak hype um, to, to sort of dial that back. And I think it's because, you know, people, especially the more thoughtful and insightful people realize like this is pretty self-defeating. Right. But I think at the same time, you know, old habits do kind of die hard. And I think that, that the 94% thing, you know, I think it's just a, a, a reminder that if, if we're pushing too hard, if we're, if we're, if we're selling this stuff, too hard. And I realize, like, you know, companies are businesses, they have to sell their product. But I think, you know, if you if 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 you also really care about winning public trust, and and basically all the the good AV companies in the space, you know, do say that that's you know core to what they're trying to do, um, that you know, that implies like you don't want to like like letting people down does not build trust. It, it erodes trust, right? So if you overhype and 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 you just kind of get you're a little over your skis, like at, at some point you cross a line where you are no longer building trust. You're, you're trying to build trust, but in fact, you're actually potentially in the long run eroding trust by, by overstating and, and, and over, overselling. And again, I want to be clear, this is much more subtle now than it was in 2016, whatever you want to sort of put the, the, the peak of the hype, but it, I, I, you know, we're, we're also still digging out of the, the trust hole that, that that peak hype caused, right? The trough of disillusionment. Not, and- not everybody, Ed. <laughs> okay, I mean, Alex, you've officially said not everybody every like ten times. So so we're good. We get it. I, I would I would actually compare this to another claim that many, but not all, uh, autonomous vehicle developers over the years have have clung to, which is the impact that it's going to have in terms of accessibility, and. There are there is truth to that, but there then there's also evidence in that it's been overstated because of the development program. So, like a, a classic one is, you know, this is going to mean that people who can't normally drive, um, people who are disabled in some way, are suddenly going to have access that they didn't have before. And while theoretically that is true, at the same time, and I've asked. Um, a number of um, executives from various AV companies, and they all have different answers. The most truthful answer I ever received was actually from Waymo, um, uh, from Takedra, and I was I I was heartened by her response because she acknowledged it. It was like, okay, but none of these vehicles can fit a wheelchair, right? And we've had this discussion before, and and her answer at the time was, she's like, you're right, and in our trajectory of development. We can't go there yet, but we'd plan on it. Right. So that was the first time in, in 
in many years that someone had directly addressed that issue. Usually it was, oh, but we're going to be providing access to other, like to the blind or, you know, to the elderly, but not addressing the, to me, what was a huge oversight, which was the which was the wheelchair issue and how were they thinking about that in terms of design and accessibility? And I know Ed, that you have um, done a lot with PAVE, like talking about that issue, but I I kind of think of these things in the same way, which is that the AV uh, industry in general has huge potential to show how much benefit it can provide as long as it doesn't lean too heavily on those types of claims and instead talks about them in a, Hey, this is going to happen, but we have these steps to go here. So same thing as the 94% statistic that's used. Yeah. Well, I totally agree. I mean, it's the same thing with solving traffic. You know, AVs cannot magically solve all traffic alone, even if they are really great. They just, they can't. Uh, Well, and, and by the way, um, Alex, really quickly, it's like, you could have 10 AV, okay, five AV companies, and three of them could be doing everything to quote unquote solve traffic. But unless the entire AV industry works together in every city in which they operate, that will never happen anyway. So it's like, it, it actually, it, it doesn't come down to just one operator. It comes down to the industry as a whole, deciding how they're collectively going to roll these things out. And that's going to be very interesting to watch because they will want to differentiate and in some ways that differentiation might actually add to traffic, not actually alleviate it. Yeah. And I mean, you, you referenced some of the stuff that we've done on pave uh, around uh, uh, accessibility and, and I absolutely agree. I mean, I think, I think you're right. What, what you don't want is to have to, you know, answer emails. And I've, I've had to do this from people who have disabilities who say, you know, when are these things going to be here? Like I, I thought they were here, would be, would be here. I thought my life would have, would have transformed by now. And I, it's, a, those are really tough things to answer. But I think, you know, for example, we we did a bunch of stuff around uh, the inclusive design challenge that the government is doing. And and I think that that's important because it shows, you know, A, you can sort of use that that DARPA challenge sort of model that kicked off this whole AV uh, phenomenon, um, you know, for things like accessibility technologies. Um, and essentially what it is, is it's, it's just a, it's a contest uh, with a million dollar prize for, for uh, accessibility technology, specifically for AVs. And you know, it's leading to real development work um, that that is building the foundation of that. And so I think that, you know, you're absolutely right. I think it's it's totally appropriate and good to to, you know, because as you say, that potential really is there. But you have to make it clear, A, that it's at this point really just potential. And if you are going to talk about it, you know, you you kind of have to center it. You can't just have it centered, you know, sort of uh, uh, just abstract what if. You have to center it on real work that's actually being done. And boy, I wish there was more real work actually being done because if there was, we, you know, I'd love to talk about it a lot more. But, but you know, I think it is, that's the important piece is that, is that we, have to, we have to present, we have to clearly label potential as potential and things that are actually happening as things that are actually happening and not blur the, the difference, you know, between those two. I I will say just to kind of wrap this thought up, there is certainly blame to be cast as well in the media because, or just what is interesting that media chooses to write about. And and I'll put myself in that category. So 
as transportation editor, you know, I'm pitched a million stories. I'm hunting down stories all the time. And like, am I going to write the nuanced story that um, an AV developer is, you know, how they're thinking through um, accessibility? Yeah, maybe for our newsletter or whatever, but I'm not going to do that every week or every month. I might do that once. So, but I will be writing, you know, stories about a company, although I, I try to follow through as, as diligently as I can and track it. But if a a publicly traded company makes a, makes a statement and makes an announcement about deploying X number of vehicles at a certain date, um, and shares rise as a result of that, that is news that, you know, myself (laughs) and others will report. I mean, it, it, it is now, of course, it's up to us to then follow that claim and and remind people that it hasn't happened yet. But, you know, even back when uh, at the height of hype, when every like a lot of automakers were putting out these deadlines, right? Like we were all writing those stories. So I will put, you know, the the media's job, too, is to take what to report on those more nuanced, quote unquote, like kind of more boring, (laughs) subtle stories as much as it does with the announcement type stories. Or if you are going to cover those announcement type stories about launching AVs and these promises to really dig into those to that. And I I do try to do that, but it just in general, I, I see across the board on like a global stage, what happens in the media where it's very easy to write about an announcement. It's a lot harder to dig through that and keep following up on that exact same claim or announcement. Um, whether it relates to promises around access to people with disabilities or whether it has um, following up on claims about, um, you know, uh, alleviating traffic, like Alex was suggest- talking about, or or the 95, 94%, like the promises of zero, zero crashes, zero deaths. Uh, that's a harder story to report. Uh, did you to see the um, TV show The White Lotus? Yeah, I watched that. No, I. Uh, were really curious. It's such a. I feel you always come up with these obscure. It's not obscure. Uh, it was like the biggest show on TV like a month ago. Oh well. The now reason we're I on bring to it other up, things like Squid Games no, or whatever. All, well, okay, but uh, in The White <laughs> Lotus, there's this young lady. I forget her character's name. Who's a journalist, and she's you know really wants to get her career off the ground. And she meets a, another woman at the pool, an older woman, and says, oh, my God, you're my hero. I wrote a story about you, and I'm just getting my, my journalism career off the ground, and it's so great to meet you. And the woman says, wait a second. Are you that, like, clickbait shill writer who wrote, like, the profile of, like, women, like, you know, making it and, like, really annihilated me? She's like, yeah, that was me. She's like... You, you suck. You, you should not be a journalist. And that is literally when I, when, when that, when I, that scene happened, all I, I could think about is the hundred thousand people who claim to be journalists out there reprinting press releases with these insane deadlines and claims uh, about, you know, what was the 2016 story? Uber orders a hundred thousand autonomous Mercedes S classes. And yeah. that, that exact same thing is happening right now, right now. Which, by the way, um, how, no, many, is, how many Mercedes S classes did Uber end up buying? Yeah, uh, I will say this: it, it is, it is um, not to make this a discussion about media, but it, it it is related. 
it is very difficult, and you both were on this side before, um, when a, a, a generally credible company, I'm not saying Uber was one of those, but let's say, we'll say Mercedes, the long history of you know, delivering vehicles is part of that partnership agreement, let's say, and is talking publicly about this. When do you not report about that? And when do you? And 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 for me, it's not so much when do I not report on it as how quickly am I going to follow up on that and how regularly am I going to follow up on that? And with so many announcements that we've gotten into this culture of, and maybe it's a way to keep that stock price up and appeal to shareholders, but there's just a constant deluge of announcements. So many so that it's almost impossible to keep track of all of the promises and all of the deals and all the partnerships. And so for me, a big thing is like the first questions I do now is like, what do you mean by agreement? What do you mean by partnership? Um, And I try very hard to get that right. But like, can I look back on some of my coverage that I did back in 2015 or 2014, in which I was interviewing people working on automated driving and might have gotten it wrong, like not in, inaccurate. I'm just saying like looking back, should I have been a tougher? Yeah, sure. And I, and mm. I was new to covering the industry, you know? <laughs> have you seen RoboCop? Yes. One, the original one. Remember yes. when they, they first hook him up, he, he wakes up as RoboCop and it's time to feed him. And they've got like a machine that spits out like this, the like, gurgles, this, Loopy into a cup, like you know, what I'm talking about. Yes, how is this that, related to what, what mo- I just mo- said? <laughs> it, because that's whenever I see a, a news story about a hundred thousand of anything ordered by anyone, it looks. I think of that scene at RoboCop where he's got to eat the slop coming out of the machine. So to to bring this back to the the ninety four percent thing, I think you know we've 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 spent a lot of time here, sort of you know, acknowledging sort of some of the sins on the, on the AV industry side. But I think it's important also to, to really make it clear that, you know, just because, uh, this 94% thing, uh, has been misused and just because it is something that, you know, at least I think that, that folks in the AV sector should be a lot more careful about how they use it. It also, you know, conceding that does not mean that like human factors or, or human quote unquote human error isn't a factor in, in, in road safety. Right. Like, and I feel like sometimes that's the, the critics it's, it's a little bit of like, this is just, you know, something that they, it's, it's a criticism of AVs that they, they want to criticize AVs about something, anything. And so they make it this and it's like, okay, yeah. Like, like it's an example of overhype. It's an example of presenting this technology as a panacea, you know, whatever else, but like at the same time, like, just because the 94% thing doesn't hold up the way some people use it doesn't mean that this isn't really a, a major problem. And I think in a recent weekly virtual panel, Brian Raymer uh, of, of MIT was had just some really interesting thoughts about just how the kinematics of driving have changed in a bunch of ways, some of which has to do with automation and some of the topics that we've discussed here uh, on the show, but also just, you know, in terms of you know, vehicles are much more insulated from the outside. You know, you have uh, electric power steering, you feel the road less, you know, there's a whole bunch of things where he says that the kinematics of driving are, are, are changing. And I think, you know, and then, and of course, distraction, we have way more things to distract us now, 
both on our, our phones, our devices that we have around, but then even on the, the screen, you know, in the car and stuff. And so I think it, it, it would be wrong to, you know, sort of concede that this 94% thing is, is, you know, that there's some good points being made about by the critics and then, and then use that as an excuse to say, well, like human factors don't matter anymore. They, they, they have always mattered to road, road safety. And if anything, you know, now they're, 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 they're starting to matter even more because of, of partial automation. So to sum up, the 94% figure should only be used specifically in the context of humans are a factor and uh, autonomous vehicles can help mitigate how many crashes are, occur, but will not eliminate them all. Well, I would say it can help mitigate if X, Y, Z occur in conjunction with that. It's, you know, I think it's, it's, I don't think the AV industry would want to be, have that put completely on their collective shoulders to say, once this deploys, it will solve everything. I would think and hope that they would say, well, we're also going to work with cities to make sure that uh, road design and policy also allow, helps us and allows us to mitigate it. You know, if right. only there was a company thinking that way and doing that exact thing. I'd love, I'd love to know more. And I don't, I don't know of a company is, that does that. This is, but see, this is, this is, I think <laughs> the the core of the issue here a little bit is that you have people kind of on all sides who say this technology is going to be this. Like they just, they just say, and, 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 you know, I mean, I'm talking about people who say this technology is going to solve all these problems. This technology is going to be terrible and, and it's going to, you know, cement the monopoly of the car, you know, on our, on our built environment for, for all time. You know, they're, they're, and, <laughs> and I think that that attitude that, that this really, uh, diverse in a lot of ways technology is going to just be one thing is is really a, a limiting way to think about it because it, it makes it seem like it's it's destined to only be one thing when in reality is that this is going to evolve over the next century basically and that we it will be what we make of it and so what i say to people when they when they say especially like avs are going to be inevitably just going to be a bad thing, you know, relative to whatever values I hold is it's like, so then that's not a reason to sit back and lob bombs at, at, at AVs as a concept. That's a reason for you to engage with the technology, to educate, under, educate yourself, understand what this technology is and join the conversation about it and help shape what that future is going to be. Uh, that's how you, you know, that, that, that's the way we need to be thinking about this technology. It'll be what we make of it. Like every other technology. Ed, you sound like me. I, you know, <laughs> I try to be like you, Alex. I, oh, I, no, I don't no, always don't. succeed, but. All right. We I should try. wrap this up, my friends, since this has been the most broccoli episode of Atonic Cast of all time. Well, it's a Wait, good thing. Our, I like roasted broccoli. Our listeners though. like their veggies. Yeah. I love yeah. broccoli. <laughs> Russell sprouts. All right. Asparagus. Yeah. Uh, all, it all, okay, to take that analogy further and to wrap it up, as Alex loves to say, it all comes down to how you how you cook the broccoli or the Brussels sprouts, is yes, whether they're edible or not. And oh. I like to say, I like to think that the atonic ass like puts a little olive oil and, and salt on there and oh, roasts yeah. oh, them to oh, a nice, yeah. flavorful crisp. Um, <laughs> so thank you, atonic ass listeners, for listening in to another episode of the Atonicast.
I can't lie, friends. I would absolutely like to shill for Apex, the Secret Race Across America, a movie about the Cannonball Run in which I star. And every one of you who buys that movie, a dollar or two goes into my pocket. Is that is that unethical to, to shill for that? I mean, I can it's just a, have someone cut that out in the editing room. So oh, it's, it's between you and your conscience, Alex. Okay. 